0: Listening to Into the Void, a Black
1: Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Daryl.
0: Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing Black Sabbath's 15th studio album, Tear, released on August 20th, 1990 on IRS Records. The album is not considered a concept album, but it does have a Norse mythology theme that would run through various tracks and on the album cover. Most of the lineup will carry over from the Headless Cross album, with the only new member being Neil Murray on bass, who had joined the band on the Headless Cross tour. Produced by Iommi and Cozy Powell with mixed results, the album would find the band moving even more away from the traditional Sabbath sound of the 70s and early 80s to some fans' displeasure. The failing status of Black Sabbath didn't allow for any US tour dates, but on the shows that were played in Europe, the band played Anno Monday, Lawmaker, and the Sabbath Stones from the album. Though the album did not sell well, like many of the Martin Air albums, Tear has developed a cult following through the years. All right, Darren, what are your um, memories of uh, discovering hearing Tear for the first time and your early initial thoughts on it?
1: Um, you know, it, it's not really an album that stands out that much for me. Um, I like it. Uh, it, it, you know, it's not one of my favorites. Uh, it's not one I, I pull out very often, but when I do, I, it's okay. I mean, I, I, when I do pull it out, I, I have an urge to listen to it and I know what to expect from it. So I'm, I'm not generally disappointed by it. Uh, but as far as getting how I, how I got it, how I found out about it, word of mouth. I mean, you know, at this point, we, we talked about it with our last podcast with, um, Atlas Cross. Black Sabbath is now they're off Warner Brothers they're on IRS metal which is even like a lower tier of IRS records which is essentially a, an independent record label um, well, I, I guess you could say a wealthy independent record label but it's not a major label so they've they've gone downhill a bit from the Warner Brothers um but there wasn't a lot of promotion and uh i don't really recall seeing any magazine ads but i do hear I, I did hear some people talking about it um and they were talking about how much they liked it how good it was and so my curiosity was peaked I, I mean i would have gotten it anyway because it's a new black sabbath album but a, a little bit more enthusiasm was involved because i heard that it was a really good album and so I got it, and went, I was living in the city at the time, and I uh, was within walking distance to Tower Records. So I went down, and sure enough, it was on sale, and I got it. Um, I took it home, I listened to it, and I thought it was fine. I, it was good. I, but at this point, I, having already heard Eternal Idol, Headless Cross, I wasn't taken off guard by by what I heard. I, I knew what to expect. Um, I was actually pretty pleased with the production for what it is. I, I thought it was a, an improvement over Headless Cross. Um, I thought the songs were better. I, I still do personally think the songs are better. And um, insofar as that this era of the band and you, you, you have to sort of compartmentalize it. I mean, you, it's not really fair to talk about it completely in the same context as everything that came before where you had the Ozzy era you had the Dio era and then you had born again and then you could pretty much say that this era more or less started with seven star from there eternal idol headless cross and now here we are at tier and this would be the last one before things shift again but when you talk about this as black sabbath you it, it's It's helpful, (laughs) it helps me understand it. It it helps me organize my my thoughts about these records if I I look at them as a separate entity. Um, I I think it would have been better if, and and you've mentioned this numerous times, you, you thought it would be a better decision if the band went by, say, Headless Cross. And I agree. And and I think if um, or even just like a Tony Iommi solo band, uh, because if they were to do that, it would be unfair to constantly make comparisons with previous material, previous singers or previous albums. It would be unfair to do that because it's, it's not it's not called Black Sabbath. But when you have the audacity to call it Black Sabbath, it begs to be compared to everything that came before. And that's a real hard position for this band to be in at this time now there was a lot of things going on musically in and around this era that are also creating a lot of challenges too i mean things are it's it's sort of like the tail end of the glam era and we're moving into grunge um as far as like i guess you what you could consider mainstream music at the time bubbling up from the underground we had death metal there was a you know death metal was really starting to come up Swedish death metal, Florida death metal was starting to rear its head. It was exciting. It was new. Um, So this was kind of an awkward place. 1990 was an awkward time for for a record like this to come out. It was sort of the old guard. And it didn't offer, I mean, it, it didn't offer a lot of excitement for a younger age group. It wasn't extreme. It was sort of, I love British rock, I love blues rock, you know, I love Gary Moore, Michael Schenker group, early Whitesnake, all that stuff. I And I did then too. But um, I think that at the time that it came out, it had gotten a little bit stale. And the material on this album, as well as the two predecessors, you might even say it's three preceding records, probably hung a little too long in that genre and it just really wasn't that relevant in 1990 anymore so i think that was another challenge uh but having said all that uh based on its own uh quality i i i think it's i think it's good i i i i like cozy how more on this album i can i can hear more of a cozy's influence i think i think he brings some of a rainbow his involvement with rainbow kind of lands here in a couple places i appreciate that Um, i think tony's guitar tone is a little bit better overall than it was on headless cross for me the keyboards um, are a little bit more subdued they're not in the forefront of the mix like they were in headless cross uh with the exception of one or two songs where it's intended for them to be front and center but there it's it's not saturated with keyboards in every song and the keyboards aren't running neck and neck with the guitar which was one of the issues i had with with headless cross so um i'm gonna say that i i considered it an improvement i i didn't have any ill will towards this album the way that i had with headless cross and I guess I really haven't changed my perspective on it. I, I still feel pretty much the same. It's a good album. Um, it's not excellent. It's not bad. It's good. Uh, I like it.
0: So, uh, This is an interesting Black Sabbath album for me. I can pretty much remember buying every Sabbath album, but I can't for the life of me remember <laughs> when I bought this one. I remember when I heard it for the first time and found out about it. Uh, I, When we did our Bill Ward, uh, Ward 1 along the way, I mentioned that uh, my girlfriend at the time, my current wife, was a DJ, had a metal show at our local college. And the guy that ran the, uh, one of the guys that ran the station and ran the metal night, he gave me a copy of the Bill Ward album. And I can remember him telling me, Oh hey, you know Black Sabbath has a new album, Tear. It's 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 really really good, and it's like wow. Okay, now I don't remember if he gave me a cassette copy of it or if I just went out and bought the cassette myself, but I got it. uh, You know, right after this uh, gentleman recommended it to me, and uh, and I liked it when I first heard it. I I liked it a lot. I remember thinking that Tony Martin really seemed to be the star on this, on this album, there's a lot of, uh, layered vocals. Tony's melody lines are, uh, really great. His voice is, is right there in the mix. It's, it's very powerful. I also remember kind of feeling like I, I really liked Headless Cross and I was really into Headless Cross. This album came pretty quickly, uh, relative to, Uh, The way Black Sabbath was operating at this time, Headless Cross was 89. This came out in 90. So I think it was a little over a year between those two records. So it felt like Tear came around rather, rather quickly, which was nice. Tony Martin, three albums in at this point, Cozy Pal, his second album. It was starting to feel like there's some consistency here, uh, at the time, I liked the production on the record. I think it hasn't aged as as well for me. Uh, I find it now to be a, too reverbed out, and the guitar is not as crunchy and present in the mix as I would like it to be on a Black Sabbath record. But at the time, it, it felt like it was very modern, like it was right there. You know, Again, you reference this, Darren, what was going on in 1989, 1990, We're at the end of the hair metal stuff. Stuff is very slick at this point. I mean, Bon Jovi and Whitesnake are releasing these huge, very big production albums that have this really glossy, slick kind of sound to it. And I remember thinking that Tear kind of felt like it fit in with that. It didn't feel out of place to me with what else was going on at the time. My complaint with the record would be, although again, at the time when I heard it, I liked it. I thought that there were a lot of really catchy melodies. I remember really being excited with the opening track, Anno Monday, with those layered vocals and everything. Uh, But it kind of went, it slipped from my mind kind of quickly. Like I kind of just forgot about it. I never really paid much attention to it. And as the years, go by even even to this day i find myself when it comes to tony martin i i find myself in a tony martin mood where all i'm listening to is the tony martin era albums and i think that that plays into what you were talking about about how you kind of have to think of this era of the band as its own thing and uh Like you mentioned, and I've said it, I I think the band would have been better served to have taken on a different band name because then you wouldn't have had these comparisons to the old Black Sabbath. And I understand why there's some people that cannot embrace this era of the band because they have... If you had somebody that had only ever listened to the Ozzy and the Dio era of the band and never knew anything about this, and you just randomly dropped this in and played this for them, they would think it was just some British, European, late 80s, early power metal band or something. You know, you probably yep. wouldn't even have known that it was uh, Black Sabbath. So I understand why there's some people that can't embrace this era of the band. And now we've moved into, and this is the other thing too. I felt like with Headless Cross and Tear, it felt like there was some consistency between those two records. Seven Star to Eternal, Born Again to Seven Star, no consistency in the lineup or the sound. Seven Star to Eternal Idol, no consistency. Eternal Idol, The Headless Cross, the connection with Tony Martin. But to me, those albums feel different to me. When we talked about The Eternal Idol, I mentioned that felt like the last Black Sabbath album I could tie back to any previous era of the band. But Headless Cross and Tear, I always think of them as a pair because sonically and musically, for me, they feel similar. But going back to my other point, I understand why people have trouble embracing this era of of the band because it is so different. And you can say in one respect, like, like you said and like I said, you have to kind of compartmentalize this and view it as its own entity. But the counter to that is that this is Black Sabbath. And when you have a band that has a history and has released as many albums as they have, as many classic albums as, as they have, to have something that sounds this different, it's almost like false advertising <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Uh, it, it's. I use the example of uh, a, a movie franchise. You go to see a Star Wars movie, you're expecting sci-fi and spaceships and lasers and a certain feel and everything and the way the movie works. If you went to a Star Wars movie and the movie was a Western, you'd be confused. And even if it was an awesome Western movie, you would still be confused because the name of the franchise is Star Wars. And that's kind of what's going on here. It's a good album. It's even though I have complaints about the amount of reverb on it, it's it's a fairly well-produced record. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of good songs here. There's a lot of good playing and everything. But you sort of can't get past the fact that it says Black Sabbath at the top, and it has moved so far away from where this band had originally started. The other thing is, is that looking now in the future, of course, at the time when Tear came out, n- nobody knew this, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh okay, we finally have some consistency in the band I can I can finally like reinvest my put my heart into this band again you know when Ian Gillen was in the band I thought okay, when Dio was in the band, all of a sudden Dio's gone. Then Ian Gillen, I put my heart into that band. He only lasts for one record. Seven Stars shows up with Glenn Hughes. He only lasts for one record. Eternal Idol, completely different band going into Headless Cross except for Tony Martin and Tony. So you you you, you put your heart into this and you feel like you get cheated on. You get Uh, it's pulled over on you every time, like just when you start to emotionally get invested in the band. So that's the way I felt here. Like, okay, now there's some consistency. I can really start embracing this era of the band again. And of course, as we all know now, looking back in history, they would abandon this and Tony would go back to with, with Dio, love Dio, love Dehumanizer. We'll get into that when we talk about Dehumanizer. But again, this in, consistency thing and maybe if the band had stuck with this, if there was Headless Cross, Tear, and three, four more albums that kind of continued along this road, this sound, this direction, you might have been able to say, well, heck, you know, yeah, it doesn't sound like early Black Sabbath, but hey, they released six albums in this style and it's just the new era of the band. There's plenty of bands that have super long histories that have changed uh, Genesis, Peter Gabriel to the Phil Collins era, uh, Jethro Toll, the seventies and eighties, Jethro Tolls are sort of different, different beasts. Uh, so there's a lot of bands that have long careers that, that do that. And if they had continued with this sound, maybe it would be a little bit easier to embrace. But when you look back in history, you kind of feel like, maybe they didn't know what they, they weren't 100% sure trying these different things. And when it didn't work, they jump ship and they go back to Dio. Then they're back with Tony Martin and everything. So it's a confusing era for me. I have mixed feelings about it. When I put the album on, I do enjoy it. There are a lot of great songs on it. But then there's there's other times where... I get slightly annoyed by the record because it is such a shift from what Black Sabbath was was all about, and I can't help at times think about what has come before. And let's face it, Black Sabbath isn't like uh, Deep Purple uh, Mark Two, where Mark One had some success and everything. But you know, Mark I mean, the early era of Black Sabbath. There's so many classic milestone, great, great records that that's a hard, hard legacy uh, to live up to, you know? So it's easy to understand that the standard is set very, very high. Again, going back to a movie reference, the original Star Wars movie, the original Godfather series, you know, these are classic high, very high standards. And that's the way I look at Black Sabbath, that they have albums that are such great albums of such a high standard That when you have an album like tear that even though it's a good album it's a really good album it still feels like it falls short because of the illustrious history of the band that has come before this especially the ozzy and the and the dio era so an album of mixed feelings for me uh a love hate relationship i kind of have with with this with this album but it's an interesting one, and there's a lot, you know, there, there is a lot of good things uh, going on with it. But I understand why some people can't embrace this.
1: When you when you said it, it sometimes makes you angry, I, I get that feeling, too, <laughs> from this, because it, it feels to me like calling it Black Sabbath is disingenuous. It's a marketing tool um, that misrepresents the music on these records and i i I think when a band gets down to there only being one original member i think in fairness there has to be an evaluation made as far as okay so there's no other original members of the band but does it at least have the same qualities as the previous records with the original lineup does is there some consistency and if the answer is no, and invariably, it will almost always be no, because when you take these principal players out, you take we're talking about Black Sabbath, you take Geezer out. You not only take his bass playing and you take his lyrics out of the equation, you take Bill Ward out and Bill Ward's been, you, you know, this is not just something new here with the absence of Bill Ward, Um at at this point after never say die bill's been in and out a couple times a few times let's say um but uh bill's contribution to the classic sabbath sound was profound so you, you you're not only you're doing this without geezer you're doing it without bill and you now have a different singer and and the the singers have always characterized the eras of this band, whether whether you want to talk about um, the material on the album, changing the sound of the music, changing that's that's true, that's valid. But more than anything else, I think the one thing that really is the most remarkable when you're when you're talking about the different eras of the band is, is the singer. You know, the Ozzy era is its thing for eight records and then dio joins and then everything shifts it becomes they reinvented themselves it becomes epic it it's it's great and you know we've talked about it on on previous podcasts uh when things started to wind down in 1978 dio came in took control steered the band in a brand new direction it was the right time it was the right statement to make and it worked really well um but nevertheless you still had bill you and you had geezer so you had everybody you had the the main personnel of of the band was still intact You fast forward to 1989 or you know 86 87 you know you only have tony iomi so it's not really fair to call it black sabbath and the music of course it, it doesn't sound the same so when i say it's disingenuous and it's a marketing ploy i i think it is that and um and unfortunately it backfired because i think that they did themselves a disservice i i know it would have been somewhat of an uphill battle maybe to completely reinvent this band um and go out into the out into the wilderness of the music industry with a new band name um but um i i think in the end it, it may have served them better because I think ultimately, what was their demise was that it just didn't hold up to the legacy of Black Sabbath. And I think a lot of people rejected it. There's a lot of people that like liked these records. Uh, Headless Cross is a huge fan base yeah. for for Headless Cross. And I, I was kind of surprised when I, when I, I guess I first noticed that about 10 years or so ago, I was really kind of taken back by it now i'm used to it now that i i know whenever there's a discussion about headless cross or so, on social media somebody posts the album cover and it's the anniversary or there's some some event that triggers a celebration of headless cross there's going to be a string of comments about people this is the best black sabbath album my favorite black sabbath album but a lot of times those are people People that are making those comments are the ones who came into that was their first Black Sabbath album. I there's probably exceptions to that, but I very rarely see anybody. And once you maybe you scroll down a little bit or you start to follow the the comments and you you put it together, you know, who's saying what and and is how is this person defending their stance on it? Very rarely is it somebody who said, well, my I originally got into Black Sabbath during the Ozzy era, but headless cross is my favorite very rarely if ever will you i don't think i've ever seen anybody say that more often than not the people that like tear the people that that like like headless cross or eternal idol or moving forward into well actually moving backward now you, you you could say uh um The Dio era, you know, some people will hold that as their favorite. And that's when they came into it. And I I get that. And likewise, with with Headless Cross and Tear and Eternal Idol, when this was their entry level and this is their entry point, this is what they they had the fondest memories of this era and um, everything else gets compared to this because this is the first thing they heard. So that's why there is a fondness for this album. Um, But by and large, I think most of the people that were there before this happened, do not like it. I know that we've noticed when we've done some Sabbath Sunday videos and we were talking about what we liked about the Tony Martin era, some of our what are our favorite songs from the Tony Martin era, what are our least favorite songs from the Tony (laughs) Martin era. Uh I think we even did a show talking about uh the Tony Martin box set. And there was comments on those videos about people that just hated it. Yeah. Um so I, I guess it's a polarizing time in the band's history, but this is where we are. (laughs) We've made it all the way up to here. Um, And, uh, you know, for better, for worse in the history of things, it's a black Sabbath album. So
0: I guess for me, what, what is difficult with this era of the band is this is the only time where I feel like black Sabbath doesn't stand out. Uh, I wasn't, I discovered Sabbath in 1980. Uh, But even looking back on the 70s, there's none of their peers sound like Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath does not sound anything like Deep Purple or Uriah Heep or UFO or something like that. Even during the Dio era. Uh, I think that they're kind of head and shoulders above a lot of the competition. And even the people that were on the same level as them, like Judas Priest or something, they they still don't sound like yep. any anybody else. They have a very strong identity, their own thing going on. Even Born Again, when Born Again came out, I didn't think there was anything else that sounded like that. It wasn't like I heard yep. Born Again and was like, oh, this just sounds like everything else going on right now. Let's put Seven Star aside, but even Seven Star, Glenn Hughes, he's such an amazing singer and such a unique voice uh, in everything. And in some ways, it felt like a little bit of a throwback record because of the bluesy influence and stuff on Seven Star. But with Headless Cross and Tear, it starts to sound like a lot of other bands at that time. And I mentioned the production earlier about how initially I felt like, yeah, it, it fit right in with the times, what was happening at that time. It also caused it to sort of blend into the wallpaper. This this album and Headless Cross too, they they don't sound as unique. They're starting to sound like other bands around them especially by this point when we're talking 88 89 and where metal is at in general and they're starting to even sound dated at this point because now we're fully into the thrash metal thing grunge is right around the corner some of the early sound gardens already out there it's starting to it, it whereas they always had their own thing and always stood out. They are very unique. These albums don't sound as unique and that doesn't mean they're not good. That doesn't mean there aren't good songs on them and good playing and everything. And Hey, any, any, any day with Tony Iommi is a good day, you know, listening to Tony Iommi riff out and everything. I'll take that over, over a lot of other uh, bands, but you just can't help but kind of feel like that they've just become sort of another band and they get a little lost in the pack. They get lost in the shuffle. This is 1990. There's so much stuff going on uh, right now. And the proof of that is, is that the sales of this album were pretty terrible. Uh, They weren't weren't even able to tour the U S on this record. Uh, I don't remember seeing uh, any videos for it on MTV. I mean, they were, I don't remember reading about it in the magazines either. I mean, they were pretty much, they just they didn't really do anything that made them stand out and maybe the thing to do at this point i mean i don't know what that direction would have been but maybe if they had reestablished their sound even if it was a di- i guess i'm saying it like thinking like this if it, this is different than the earlier black sabbath but the problem is is that it sounds too much like other bands that I, are going i agree
1: yeah no, i know it was I, its
0: own like if it was a different yeah. direction but it was this unique different direction and it's like oh wow you know they've carved out their own little corner here yeah. in what's going on in 1990 and even, even though you said well this doesn't sound anything like the ozzy era or the Dio era but They've carved out their own unique space. and They've reinvented themselves in this new thing. And, you know, only Black Sabbath can, can, you know, I'm trying to think of of bands that have really reinvented their sound and become like a new thing. And, And I think that that would have worked better. Instead, the direction that they took, and again, it starts with Headless Cross, the kind of generic lyrics on Bats and Devils lyrics on Headless Cross. And it kind of continues on here, like the Norse mythology thing. I mean, it's certainly beaten to death in 20 to 23. (laughs) I remember even in 1990 kind of feeling like it was a little bit like, okay, you know, this is kind of like a lot of people do this. It's not really, you know, didn't really jump out at me as anything really like uh, mind blowing and unique and maybe that's where the misstep was with this band. They should have tried to do something more unique rather than, kind of going in this direction that did made them feel like they were followers instead of leaders in some ways. There's moments on this record that, you know, Black Sabbath never felt like a band that was really paying a lot of attention to what else was going on. They just did their own thing and they did it really well. Well here it kind of feels like they're sort of looking around the room like, hey, you know, maybe we should try this because this is kind of working. And, you know, have you heard the new Blue Murder record? Have you heard the new White Snake album? You know, maybe we should go in that kind of direction and it's just not something when it comes to black sabbath a band that i hold in very high esteem with uh, an immense amount of respect because of their unique individuality and and uh, the music that they've put out to have them kind of in this position where they're uh walking amongst the mere mortals is (laughs) you know it doesn't feel right to me and it, it just you know
1: yeah, well, I mean, that, that's an excellent, excellent point. i had also thought about that, too. You're, you're right, 100%. This era is, is marred by the fact that it just blends into the background. And there is no other time, and up to this point, where Black Sabbath's music was mediocre, or it wasn't profound, or it, it didn't have such a strong identity. The identity of the band in this era was very subdued um and you say well what would they have what what should they have done how could they have changed that well you know i mean we you basically you had tony iomi and and hired guns now the lineup was consistent insofar as the touring lineup for headless cross is now the main band in in on this album had uh neil murray cozy pal um and so uh in jeff nichols is back on keyboards um so so you you know, you, you have a consistent lineup, but you've got Neil Murray, and Neil Murray is like a veteran of the British rock scene. I I don't know that that he has nothing against Neil Murray. He's a, he's a fantastic player. But does he have the personality to bring to a band that's going to make that band sound unique? That's gonna not make it blend in with everything else that Neil Murray's done. That's not gonna make Black Sabbath turn into Whitesnake, which is what I think. A lot of the songs on Headless Cross sound like maybe not so much from Tear, but I, I do get a White Snake vibe from Headless Cross, and likewise, you know, you had Cozy Powell, who's been, you know, he's hopped around quite a bit himself, uh, and was also on in White Snake at one point. So you have half the slided in lineup of White Snake um, in this band, and it, it's hard when you're talking about what would have made this era stronger? What would have given it the same kind of identity when you're talking about you're changing from a well-established band from 1969 to 1978 with the Ozzy era, and you have a new singer. But wow, what a transformation, what a strong presence that band had from that point on. And you're talking about a, a great producer, Tear and, and Hell's Cross, I, I think were both produced by Tony Iommi and Cozy Powell. But when you're talking about he- uh, Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, you're talking about Martin Birch getting you know really involved with the production end of it. So the sound of the record was was very profound. Um, you had Ronnie Ronnie James Dio, of course, who was in Rainbow, but he he tailored his sound his style to suit Black Sabbath. Same thing with Ian Gillen. Ian Gillen, of course, had you know a, a long tenure with, with with Deep Purple, but when he joined Sabbath, there was a certain side to him that became unique and fit in so well with with Black Sabbath. These players weren't either they weren't capable of they just or they weren't in the headspace of doing that. They were bringing their credentials, their repertoire, their resumes to the table and producing music in a familiar way which didn't give this band its own identity its own profound personality and, and in I, I think that's what the point you were trying to make at least that's what i was thinking while yeah. you, were, you were you were referring to previous eras as being so strong and and there was nobody else that sounded like black sabbath there was nobody that was as heavy as black sabbath up until this point we got here and you know, you, you could arguably say, well, you know, they sound kind of like white snake. There's a little bit of Bon Jovi here. And there's definitely some blue murder. Um, there might even be some Deaf Leopard going on in here too. So the, the once mighty Black Sabbath has now just kind of like been diluted. And um and, and that's and that's where that's where we are with tear. And and you know, I'm not to get ahead of ourselves, but um, they realized this at, at the time. <laughs> at least Tony iomi realized it when they, when they couldn't tour North America and the sales weren't weren't yeah. good. I mean, they knew that something had to happen if they were to be able to sustain themselves and the, for a career in music because it was it was it was not doing well. However, um I don't know. there's another point that you made earlier on that I'm going to agree with too. If they had stuck it out, if they had some commitment. Maybe if they had a better management, somebody to, to direct them in a more um, a better promotional way, they they could have sold this lineup a little bit better. Maybe I don't know. Maybe gotten a different base player. Maybe gotten Geezer back. Uh, you know, I mean, again, not to to foreshadow anything, but you know, that I think is something that happened will happen in the future that made a big difference. And it might had it happened the way that it should have and geezer was available if the timing was right and geezer was available to join the band at this time they probably would have but unfortunately it was too late and geezer had already committed to being part of ozzy's band but i think it might have made a big difference if geezer was in this band and it might have pulled them back into something with a little bit more semblance to the classic era of black sabbath but we don't have the advantage of that what we have is neil murray cozy Powell. Tony Iommi and Jeff Nichols, and this is this is a product of that of that lineup. And um, well,
0: it's pretty good. I'm glad you made the point about bringing up the members of the band and the personalities. Maybe these weren't the right personalities for the band. Even Cozy Pal, I love Cozy Pal. I think he's an amazing drummer. But maybe they would have been better served to do something like what Judas Priest did with Painkiller, bringing in Scott Travis, who was he was in Racer X, but he was basically a, a young guy, relatively unknown, but that had uh, he 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 had the modern chops. You know, he 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 was like a younger guy that was in tune with where drumming was in 1990. And Painkiller, by the way. Came out a month after uh, Tear did, and the first song on the album. When you hear that opening to Painkiller, you're like, Okay, you know, I mean, that gets you to sit up on the edge of your seat. You're like, Okay, this is a new uh, Judas Priest uh, thing we have going on here. And the problem with Cozy, as great of a drummer as he is, is that Cozy has. A very big history. And he brings some baggage himself with it. I mean, we're going to mention as we go through the songs that there's times where it reminds you of Rainbow. And Cozy is part of that. It might have helped if it was a younger guy with maybe his own unique personality. I remember hearing Scott Travis and being like, wow, who is this? this? I mean, it just jumped out. Right at me, his drumming all over that record. It was a real personality, a modern, you know, young guy. Uh, and even the sound of, you know, if we want to keep talking about painkiller, painkiller was a reset for Judas Priest coming off a turbo and ram it down. And it isn't like they did something completely different, like completely different stylistic change. It was almost like they just went back to their classic sound, but they modernized it. You listen to Glenn Tipton's playing on that record. It's it's obvious he sat down and was woodshedding to keep up with, to, to mod to like bring Judas Priest into the 90s, if you will. And maybe if I only had approached out, like, I need a young drummer with a unique strong personality. I need a bass player who's really going to jump out and really add something to this. And hey, we've got Tony Martin here. He's a great singer, and we're going to kind of do what, what we, with what the way D Brought Black Sabbath into the 80s. You know, Ronnie sort of brought Black Sabbath, modernized the Black Sabbath sound, took them out of the 70s. Maybe this would have been the time for them to say, okay, this is, we're resetting here. I'm getting some really strong, fresh uh, voices in here. In, in some ways, I think bringing in cozy, it again, it ties it to the past and it doesn't allow it to kind of grow and be its be its own thing. I mean, not many bands are able to reset themselves. Judas Priest did it very well with Painkiller. Granted, Rob lands up leaving after that, but uh this is sort of the problem here. When when you have a band, and and you mentioned about you mentioned earlier, you said, well, when a band comes down and it's just one original member. Well, if the band is jethro toll I'm a love Jethro toll think all the players in Jethro toll are great players they've had through the years, but let's face it, Ian Anderson is a big big part of that sand. Ian Anderson writes all the music he plays multiple instruments blah 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 Black Sabbath was a different situation. We've talked about this the original lineup it really truly was uh. All of them together made that original Black Sabbath sound. The Mob Rules era of the band, Vinny Apicy and Ronnie. It's just it's a real combination of you're mixing all these things together in a pot, and that's what's creating creating this. And when we get to this era of the band, we get a lot of things. That how much personality is Neil Murray really adding to the band? Uh, right. We're getting this with on Eternal Idol. I love Bob Daisley, but uh, y- you know they're not really contributing a lot to. Uh, maybe, maybe Bob does to a certain degree on Eternal Idol, but uh, it's missing. It's missing that element, and that also causes it to become very kind of generic. I and mean, we keep mentioning White Snake. You know, White Snake. You'd have. He got rid of all John Sykes and those guys. Neil Murray actually wasn't Neil Murray originally on that, that White Snake album with John Sykes. And, and then he landed up just getting all these kind of guys that it was just all about David Coverdale. And it's Black Sabbath as much as I love Tony Iommi and he's a big part of that sound. It's never been 100% just about Tony Iommi. It's always been about the him and the people around him the unique personalities, the way they interact with each other. That's what's always made Black Sabbath great. And even an album like Born Again, even though Ian Gillen only lasted for one record, it it worked for me on that album. And here, when we get to this point, it works to a certain degree, but it also doesn't. And it causes them to, like we keep saying here, sound very like they could be any other band, like any other band could have put out a record like this. I listen to Mob Rules and say, man, nobody could have put out a record. Only Black Sabbath could have made made that record. Only Black Sabbath can make an album like Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Only Ian Gillen and Black Sabbath can make an album that sounds like Born Again. Now we're kind of like, yeah. Eh, yeah, kind of, but it sort of, like we said, blends in with everybody else and starts to become a little bit, generic which is unfortunate because there there are a lot of good songs on here there are a, there are good things on here it's just missing i guess you need to put it this way it's very hard to to sort of put this in words but it's just missing that extra x factor
1: yep that's a good way to put it and and i think another thing that kind of um diminishes some of what would otherwise be incredible um because there are some moments in some of these songs where you could hear that in in more capable hands and i don't mean as far as musical prowess i mean as far as having uh more charisma more personality in more capable hands with regard to having more personality i i think it might have been a lot more effective but you have you know you've got tony martin who's a good singer he's got a great voice but he's not Dio. Um, he doesn't command, take, take command, take charge of the material. Tries, it's, it's not for lack of trying, and you can hear him. You know, he does. He tries, he tries to get a little bit of grit to his voice. He, he, he but it just kind of ends up sounding very safe, kind of AOR-ish. Um, and he's that kind of a singer. Um I think when he when he when he joined, he was sort of just following the template that Ray Gillen had laid down, Headless Cross. He asserted himself more, but he still kind of was a little uncomfortable, a little unsure of what he was supposed to do. So he he wrote all these lyrics and they were sort of cliche and they were cheesy. And then he sang them well, but it seemed like they were not really coming from the right place. Like it just seemed a little bit phony and here. He's writing his own lyrics again. And he's getting away from maybe because there was some criticism with some of the cheesy lyrics, maybe uh that stuck in his mind, and he wanted to go in a different direction with the lyrics of tears. So he, you know, developed this concept, part of the album anyway, or this uh, Norse uh history or whatever you want to Norse mythology. Um, but he, he got away from more of the cliche, you know, uh bats and vampires and crosses and satan and devils and things like that I got away from that and he got into some some new more unique territory or at least not totally unique to other what other bands were doing but unique as far as things that, that he had contributed before um trying to develop more of a i guess a personality maybe something that was a little bit more sincere for this record, Um, but unfortunately it just kind of falls into the boring category. I I would almost maybe, I'm hesitant to say, but I I might almost prefer a song like Nightwing (laughs) to some of the songs like Odin's Court or um, Feels Good to Me, you know, uh, even even Devil and Daughter, which isn't a song that I'm really that crazy about on on Headless Cross. I, I might prefer the lyrical approach of something like that. Um, as opposed to, you know, the lawmaker. Um, but you know, we're going to go from song to song like we always do. But I, my point is that you, you, we had too many guys that were safe, and unfortunately, it makes the entire album feel very safe, and and not very profound. And I think from from my perspective that's the whole thing in a nutshell for me it's what how i feel about this record it's my attitude toward it is it's good but it's just not great it's not remarkable it's not anything that i feel is a milestone legacy of black sabbath i feel like it's just a uh i don't know stopping point it's just a, a means to an end it would eventually take us to another high point um, and, yeah. you know, at this point, that's kind of what we're doing. We're sort of treading water here in the yeah. Black
0: Sabbath timeline. And, and you mentioned, we we talked about this, I'm pretty sure, with probably on the Eternal Idol. When Tony Martin comes into the band, he maybe because he doesn't have the experience that Dio had, he he, he certainly didn't have the experience uh, level of experience that Ian Gillen had or Glenn Hughes had all those singers were able to come in and they already had personalities. They were, they were like a character, you know, they, they who they were was already established and they were able to come in and yeah, Ian Gillen tweaked it a little bit, but he, he didn't, uh, they all came in and they all had their thing. They were able to walk into the room and, uh, because of their past credentials, uh, they were able to walk in and be themselves. And unfortunately for Tony Martin, he comes in as eternal idol at the last second. So he just has to sing over Ray Gillen's parts. He's not able to really assert his own personality. Like you mentioned on Headless Cross, he sort of maybe played to the audience a little bit too much or what he thought Black Sabbath lyrics and singing should be like. And and here on tier, I kind of feel like it's more himself. Uh, I, I always felt like this was kind of the Tony Martin album, as far as him asserting his own uh, personality. But yeah, you know, by the time we've gotten gotten to this point, and the fact that they would go back to Dio after this, it's as these are all just little things, and when you add these things all together, this is what makes the album, like you said, good, maybe not great, but all right. Shall we jump into the uh, songs then? Sure. All right. Uh, album starts with Anno Monday. Uh, one of my favorite songs on the record. I think it's a real strong opener. I remember this jumping out at me when I first heard it. The intro gives me a Children of the Sea vibe, uh, the way Iommi's picking out those notes, those layered vocals in the intro i think are great they almost have a little bit of a creepy feel to them especially when they come back in the middle section when everything sort of drops down and he's doing the spiritus seducet i think that that's uh really cool iomi's uh main uh riff in this is is real heavy it's got that kind of zero the hero uh mm-hmm. vibe to it that sort of chugging dun 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 you know that kind of uh thing going on the chorus in this is absolutely just massive. It jumps out at you. Uh, the way, uh, the way Martin's Tony Martin's voice is just sounds fantastic, uh, on this, his voice is just, uh, just absolutely soaring. You know, the winds of the night, uh, blows cold, uh, the wind in the night blows cold. Your eye, your eyes are burning the way that, that part, uh, is the way, uh, just, fantastic so this is this is a really uh strong opener for me cozy even sounds pretty good on this i mean my complaint i have is the drums are too loud on this album but on the fade out on this cozy's doing all these really awesome big fills to kind of make it sound really dramatic so i like this one this is this is a favorite on this record for me
1: i like it too i think it's a good opener um you're right it does kind of have a children of the sea Sort of vibe. It 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 feels pretty epic. I like the it's, you know using the the Latin phrase. I think that's pretty cool. Um, it it also contributes to the epic quality. Um, there there's nothing wrong with this song at all. It it's a good song. It's a well written song. Agree with Tony's riff here. We're starting to where the guitar wasn't. You know you started to not hear that really rich thick iomi tone on on a little bit on Eternal Idol, uh, but it was really conspicuously absent, at least for me, on Headless Cross. Here it's back. It's not Mob Rules back, or it's not Born Again back, but it's it's back. It's it's back from where it, it ended on or where it was on Headless Cross. And I appreciate that. And that's probably my favorite part of the song. Um Tony Martin's voice is great, uh, the song structure is great. You know, I I, like I said, I like the epic quality. Um, Other than that, I feel like it's not really a Black Sabbath song. It's a good song. Um, If it were on a Blue Murder record, I wouldn't think there would be anything strange about that. Um, But it's not. (laughs) It's on tier, and it's how they've chosen to kick the album off. And it kind of gives you, I guess... um, You know a a glimpse into the statement of intent this is okay buckle up because here's this is where it is this is commercial british rock 101 it it's gonna it's well done it's 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 well sung it's fairly well produced for its time um and uh yeah i mean we're off and running so
0: yeah we we keep referencing blue murder and part of that is uh Tony Martin claims that he was involved in the songwriting on yeah. that first Blue Murder record, even though he's, he's uncredited. So, uh, but yeah, this is, I, I like this as an opener. I think it's got some different sections going on in it. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty dramatic opener. All right. And then we move to, uh, the lawmaker, uh, Upbeat, uh, the main is, it kind of has a rainbowish feel to me, the way this main riff is, the way Cozy is drumming in it. This is where the the mix starts to get to me a little bit. At times, I just feel like the guitar is too far back in the mix. There's, it's like there's reverb on every instrument, and then they put reverb over everything. And yep. the drums are just too loud. And on a fast number like this, where the snare drum is hitting... More frequently or very frequently, it just overpowers things, and there's just times where I just kind of lose I- Iomi in it. It's kind of like what what is what is happening here? The keyboards wash it out a little bit at times, and that's not really something with when it comes to Black Sabbath. You don't really ever want to be saying that with Black Sabbath. Like, no. yeah. where's, t- where's Tony Iomi's guitar? I mean, that's like saying ACDC. I can't hear the guitar guitars in ACDC. I mean, it's almost like on. Un- unfathomable so so that's a little bit uh, strange to me although he has an excellent guitar solo in this and I remember hearing this guitar solo and thinking like it reminds me of uh, Glenn Tipton in in the painkiller guitar solo it sounds like it's flashy you got to remember this is 1990 where the, the the shred mania with guitar players playing a million miles an hour and it seems like maybe Iommi is 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 kind of maybe aware of that and he's playing a solo that would sort of fit in with the uh present times if you will so i was impressed with the the level of chops that tony has here and there's those kind of those breaks and everything where he's playing really fast little uh runs and everything but uh so this one's all right uh a little bit generic to me the mix annoys me a little bit with the loud drums at this fast of a tempo for me is is kind of distracting but the chorus is is pretty catchy i i like this
1: one i might even go so far as to say it's it could be my favorite song on the album um but i know what you're saying it it feels i i like what it's doing i, I like the energy of the song i like I like that it kind of feels like a rainbow song because that's the kind of rainbow that I like. I like that driving. I like that, that vibe. Yeah. I like the more aggressive rainbow. I like all rainbow, but I, I, I appreciate the, the aggressive rainbow a lot. Um, it, it's kind of has like a little bit of, it kind of ventures a little bit into like kill the King territory. Um, but you're right. It, it, it does kind of, there's not a lot of clarity there's not a lot of presence in the guitar um and it's almost like iomi is playing like a richie blackmore like he's he's playing a cover song like this was a song that was brought in by somebody else he didn't write yeah. it but he's doing what he can do to it it would probably be more, much more effective if richie blackmore were playing it it would it would sound like well then it would definitely sound like rainbow I, I, I kind of think it's cool that you've it, it, got some black rainbow going on here, and this is, I guess, maybe it's where Cozy brings you know some of his influence to the table, um, because uh, the, the driving, I think, it may have may have started with a drum beat. It it may have started with you know some ideas when they were jamming, and maybe Cozy set the tempo, and and Tony came in with the riff, um, but. Yeah, it's a little boring for, for Black Sabbath. Uh, but like I said, I mean, right off the bat, when you're starting with Anno Mundi, yeah, you're kind of like, yeah, this is not going to be anything that, that's similar to what we've heard before. So the lawmaker doesn't necessarily surprise me too much. But for, for what it is, I appreciate it. That's a good listen for me anyway.
0: All right uh jerusalem so this album starts off really strong for me i monday then it feels like it takes a step down or two with lawmaker but there's a lot of energy to lawmaker jerusalem is a couple steps down for me i don't really like this one i don't like the verse the way it's like the feel in the verse it has this very aor-ish like melodic hard rock uh feel to it that I just, I don't like it. I don't like the way Tony Martin is singing in the verses. I don't like this chorus. Uh, I especially don't like the part where it's like Jerusalem. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> To me, that's just way too very late eighties, early nineties, yeah. mutt lang, uh, thousands of dudes singing along in the chorus type of thing. Yep. And just the overall kind of feel of the song and the way everything sort of gets light in the verse. It's like the guitar sort of drops down a little bit and the bass and drums are just kind of chugging along. And it's, it's, it's a little too sing songy for me and the melody lines at times. And we haven't talked about this uh, to this point, but for me, I, I need black Sabbath. I need a certain level of, mystery and sinister and eeriness and darkness to the sound. And yeah. when I don't get enough of that, it, it just doesn't feel right to me. Uh, it, so even though Headless Cross, there's moments on there that aren't heavy enough or dark enough for me, there's still a number of tunes like the title track and Nightwing and, uh, killing the spirit world and stuff like that. Uh, this is what I start to miss, you know, but when by the time we're here at the third track, Anna Monday has that. Anna Monday has a kind of a mysterious kind of feel to it. It's a little bit uh, creepy and mysterious sounding, but by the time we get here now, Lawmaker and then Jerusalem, I'm just, I'm not feeling that. And when it comes to Black Sabbath, I I need that because that's what I love about Black Sabbath. And it's, again, it's not that every Black Sabbath album, every song has that feel to it but two songs in a row now that i'm not getting getting that vibe and i don't know this one just just doesn't work for me on a lot of different levels okay um yeah i'm kind of conflicted because
1: one part of me really likes this song and another part of me understands completely what you're what you're saying that there isn't that familiar a little bit of mystery a little bit of dark music that you know this is very bright it's, it's a bright mood um you know the the, the layered vocals it, it's a big rock song but I like I like big rock songs I don't like big rock songs in my Black Sabbath but um I again it, when I say I'm conflicted I mean I, I kind of like have to like take that part of my brain out of this process, where i'm comparing it with what or or i'm qualifying this with previous things i have to take my my brain out of that thought process and listen to this for what it is i think it i think it's a good song um it it gets stuck in my head um and that's usually a good thing for me if the rule of thumb for me if i can remember the song not only maybe hours after i listen to it but maybe the next day the melody stays in my head that's good Uh, so on the basis of that it it, it's a good song i mean i will get this song stuck in my head and i'll just walk around like ah you know (laughs) which is it's very foreign to to black sabbath but um such as it is uh, I, I I like it. And maybe it's a guilty pleasure. Maybe that's the best way to qualify it. It's a guilty pleasure. Um, but so far, Annal Mundi, the lawmaker, Jerusalem, I I think it's a pretty good one, two, three, uh, one, two, three punch. I, I think we're I think we're off and running pretty good here. And um you know you could split hairs and say, well yeah but you know there's there's this you know the production or or maybe the, the the personality or the character of the song isn't consistent with Black Sabbath, and and you wouldn't be wrong. In fact, you'd you'd be making some very very valid points that would be hard to argue with. But uh, on the basis of the quality of the songs, I I, I think it's to, for me it sits better. I I have an easier time listening to this than I would be at this point listening to Headless Cross. So. From Monday to Jerusalem, I'm pretty cool with it. Yeah, Uh, unfortunately
0: for me, it's been going downhill, but things uh, correct themselves here for me with the Sabbath Stones. This is maybe my favorite on the album or second favorite. Uh, I think it's one of the more heavier songs. It's, I believe, the longest song on the record uh so it has sort of an epic quality to it there's some tempo changes towards the end of the song there's that spot where like the acoustic guitars uh come in that makes it sound really uh epic uh the intro i don't really like that effect or whatever that's on tony martin's voice there the mix yeah. kind of takes away from the punch those chord hits and everything i think if the mix was a little bit better that could have hit uh could have hit a lot harder uh but the but uh i think tony martin sounds he, he has some venom to his voice here in the verses whereas like in a song like jerusalem he sing a big what was the word you said big rock Uh,
1: Big, big rock song. Yeah. Yeah. That's, he
0: has a big, he's got the big rock voice going on in Jerusalem, but here in the Sabbath stones, he's singing a little bit more sinister, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more venom and evil in his voice, which I like. Uh, Neil Murray even has, uh, has a point here where he jumps out of the mix where he's pretty much can't really, there's bass here somewhere in this mix, but you can't really tell what he's no. doing, doing exactly. But uh the double time part at the end of the song, I think, is great. I think Iomi has an awesome solo there. And this this song kind of sits. I wouldn't say it's anywhere near as good as Heaven and Hell, but it kind of sits in the same place as the last song on side one. It's the longest song on the record. It's got some different tempo things going on, some layered guitar parts, the acoustic guitars and stuff like that. Uh, so it sort of sits in that same place for me. This should have maybe been uh, the title track of the record. I could have pictured this being worthy of of that. Is it? Is it one of the best title tracks for Black Sabbath? Uh, No, but it's still, uh, I like this one a lot. It's heavy. It gives me that sort of Black Sabbath vibe that I was looking for and what I got on Headless Cross, stuff like uh, When Death Calls, Kill in the Spirit World. This sort of reminds me a little bit of like a combination maybe of Kill in the Spirit World and When Death Calls. It's got that kind of vibe to it at times for me. So this I really like this one. This one brings me back to Headless Cross a little bit. I think it's, I think it's pretty strong. It, it should have been maybe the title, title of the record, but uh, as it stands, cool one. I'm back on board here. Real strong way to end side one.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. It it, it is the epic on this album, and it's an epic in the sense where it does kind of have a little bit of a callback to uh, previous epics. It does have. Maybe a little bit of a mob rules, uh, not exactly, but let's say, you know, maybe vaguely sort of similar to "Sign of the Southern Cross" or something like yeah. that. You know, at least occupying that space on this album, I, I think it's a, it's a great song. Um, the only thing that that keeps it from being like ten ten for me is i don't like the effect on tony martin's voice in the beginning i i don't like the way that he enunciates the lyrics um it's like the drums like boom 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 that's cool but then when he comes in and his voice is just like it's a little bit cringy for me once things take off from that point on i'm all on board with it uh but yeah that, you think I'm about you.
0: You were talking about "Sign of the Southern Cross." You know that part in "Sign of the Southern Cross" where the drums are just everything sort of drops down, and that is so heavy. You know the mix is just perfect for that. Vinny's drums and the guitar sound and everything you don't have that same kind of wallop and punch here. And it sounds like they're trying to go for that same type of thing. Like in sign of the Southern cross, they're trying to go or falling off the edge of the world that, that has that same kind of vibe to it too, where there's these big, big hits, but the production, you know, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't help it here. It kind of just sounds a little bit, uh, it sounds a little bit weak. It could have been stronger with the, you know, with a more of a Martin Birch style. Oh, uh, for sure. Production.
1: Yeah. I, I would have loved to uh, have heard Martin Birch, what he could have done with this record. I it wouldn't have, it might've completely transformed it, uh, but there's not much you can do about the lyrics. So it's not for lack of trying. I mean, I think Tony Martin is definitely, uh, writes some pretty decent lyrics. You know, we're, we're talking about, uh, There's a Jerusalem is about televangelists, and that's kind of a cliche at this point, Um, especially in society at that time when you had like the televangelists and stuff like that. So that was kind of like socially relevant at the time. Here, the Sabbath Stones is um, something, I think it's about the like the Ten Commandments, but they're calling them the Sabbath Stones. I I agree, I think it would have been an excellent title for the album. Tears a little confusing, first you're confused as to how to pronounce it um you don't really know what it what it's relevant to what tier what is that all about sabbath stones it would have drawn you in immediately obviously because it has sabbath in it, the name of the band bringing that into the title of the album but it would have just been a nice coupling black sabbath the sabbath stones um yeah, and I,
0: yeah god yeah. I was just no. going to say, I do really like, uh, the chorus, uh, lyrics here, uh, receiver of light, the kingdom yeah. of God will guide you, keep you from a restless heart, deceiver of night, the stranger that laughs within you. The reason for your restless heart is the keeper of the Sabbath stones. I think that's a, maybe my favorite, uh, lines on this, on this album. I think that's, those, those are some cool lyrics.
1: Yeah, yeah, he he does actually pen some pretty good lyrics. And I, I think this might be the best example of Tony Tony Martin's ability to write lyrics. I think when when he, he wrote this song, I think he was like he was he was right on. Um as as we as we go forward and uh things kind of drop off for me. Uh but yeah, Seven Stones probably the highlight of the album. And you know, if this is closing outside one, I have it on CD. I, I don't have this on vinyl. It's one of the ones I need to get on vinyl. So if we could uh, get that Tony Martin box set happening here <laughs> sooner than later, I'd be pretty pretty appreciative of that. But in the meantime, I just have a CD. Um, so it's tracks one through well, got, uh, one through nine. But yeah, we're going to uh. cut off side one with Sabbath Stones. I think that for me, I am I am pretty cool with. It one through uh one through four tracks one through four side one it's all good as far as i'm concerned
0: all right side two maybe we can talk about the first three songs on side two because they're kind of like one thing here even though this isn't a concept album i guess this is really the only point in the album where this sort of norse theme Runs here uh, for a little bit. You've got the Battle of Tear, Open Side 2. It's an instrumental, kind of a sound effecty type of instrumental, a la the Gates of Hell or the Dark and Stonehenge. I mean, it's there. It is what it is. I guess it's supposed to be setting the mood for the song, taking us back to, uh, you know, Norse times and every everything like that. Uh, sounds a little cheesy now. It sounds a little, especially now with the passage of time, the sounds are a little dated and everything, but it is what it is and it passes pretty quickly. Leads us into Odin's Court, which I actually think is pretty cool. It has a lot of atmosphere to it. I don't, there's no drums in it, if I remember correctly. It's just like acoustic guitars. It almost has a Led Zeppelin, no quarter, uh, Kashmiri type of. It's just kind of the acoustic guitar, layered acoustic guitars, uh, carrying it. It sets up, uh, uh, you know kind of sets the mood here again the Norse mythology the cover of the record which we haven't really talked about uh you know i don't know maybe not one of their better album covers but here it's setting a mood and uh we're moving along here and then that sort of builds up and takes us right into valhalla which is uh, one of the better songs uh i think the main riff is is heavy i do really like that i do think it has a great chorus uh very power metal like tony martin is just you know singing over the top top of it um good song but it still falls not as good as anna monday not as good as the sabbath stones again it's sort of the thing that plagues this record as instead it it's just sort of missing that one element it's just there's just something missing in it that doesn't take it all the way over the finish line it's like it's sort of like half baked it's 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 halfway there but uh I guess this is, uh, you know, this is supposed to be the epic moment of the record, you know, this sort of tear, the, the, the whole the album cover and everything. And it, it is a little bit of a little bit of a letdown. It, it, the instrumental leading into Odin's Court feels like you're building up to something really big. And uh, Valhalla isn't maybe as big as I would and, and as epic as I would like it to be. So a little bit of a letdown. Valhalla but I do like Odin's Court
1: yeah uh, Battle of Tear yeah it's just like three songs in one basically The Battle of Tear does remind me a lot of Stonehenge keyboards are like really loud of course it's all just that keyboard it's an intro to side two um, keyboards like assuming it's Jeff Nichols very similar again to Stonehenge um, then it passes and it goes into Odin's Court which is a little bit of a different thing for for Black Sabbath and and for Tony Iommi and and like you said it does kind of have a folkish, Zeppelinish, epic thing going on. It, it yeah it does have kind of a uh uh cash. Man, well, I don't want to say necessarily cashmere. I'm not I'm not really sure what what's A Zeppelin three vibe stick. to it.
0: Yeah, yeah Zeppelin, Zeppelin three. 3. So some of
1: the acoustic um things that Jimmy Page was doing. I, I can hear that in this um. It's okay. I mean, it's foreign for Black Sabbath, and and I have a problem with that. I I can't wrap my head around that. I mean, if I listen to it, there's nothing wrong with it. But it, to to put it in the context of Black Sabbath, it's like, I just I I I, I can't process it. Um, <laughs> but it, and then we're going from there into to Valhalla, and again, this the Norse thing doesn't work for me with Black Sabbath. I I don't. I can't make the connection. it it doesn't it doesn't jive for me. I, I don't know what the what the inspiration was for. It. I mean, I, I guess Tony Martin, maybe it was cozy pal. um i I, I actually think i I read that it was uh, that uh, Tony Martin had a passing interest in it and thought it would be something a, a unique subject matter to bring into the album to try to get away from the cliche, you know, devil stuff that he was doing on uh Headless Cross. And you know, I mean I could certainly appreciate that, but maybe for a different band for Black Sabbath, I just can't make the connection. Um the album or the song is uh kind of forgettable. I when I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh again okay, this is okay. It's, it's all right. It's not like Black Sabbath. But then once it's over, I I, I kind of forget about it. I, I it's not very remarkable to me. It, it's kind of a placeholder. And um, and that's how, it, rather than uh, the Battle of Tyr, Odin's Court, working up into like a really cool climax with Valhalla, it just kind of falls down. It just sort of like, rather than climb up to the, the peak of the mountain, it just sort of gets about halfway and just says, okay, well, we're going to set up camp right here. <laughs> you know, and... Um, and and that's kind of the vibe I get. It's like it's it, you said it you said it best and you said half baked. Like, that it, that's it, kind of where it where it lands for me. It, it lands in a in a half baked uh, territory. And unfortunately it doesn't go anywhere better after that. So um uh I'm gonna stop there. And if you want to lead off with feels good to me, <laughs> I'll yep. pick up where you leave
0: off. Feels good to me. All right. Uh I mean, even the band admits that this was them trying to write a song that would get on MTV. And, and they did have a video for this, a cringy yeah. video with a girl riding around on a motorcycle. And it just really, really, you know, this this is a bad decision on their part. And one might be quick to say, Hey, how is this any different than no stranger to love? I think no stranger to love fits more in on the seven star than this does here. This sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, I I do admit that Tony Martin does sound good on it. uh, Especially on the outro uh, chorus here towards the end of the song. Uh, He, uh, you know, he has some lines that he's kind of ad sounds like he's ad libbing as the song kind of fades out. But it's just so the whole feel of the thing and the keyboards and uh, it's just uh, it's just a bridge uh, too far. And and we've already said that this record kind of blended into the wallpaper of 1990 hard rock slash heavy metal. And this is just this could be any number of. LA Sunset Strip bands uh, doing this song. They should have sold this song to some other, they should have left it off the record. It could have been a B-side or whoever was mostly responsible for this song. They could have sold it to somebody like Keel or some some band like that and let them have a hit uh, with it. But as it stands with Black Sabbath, this is, you're willing to, you're willing to suspend Uh, your imagination for a little bit here and try to imagine this as its own world and everything, but this is just so far removed. And it's so obvious. It's such an, and again, if you, for people out there, if you're not old enough to remember this, by the time 1990 rolled around, this kind of thing was so every band was trying to get on the radio with a ballad and it was just so generic and so tiring. And I mean, this is just, you know, grunge waiting to just pounce. And it's because of things like this, you know, bands doing things like this. And it's just so disappointing. Black Sabbath was never a singles band. They were never a band that that wrote singles that tried to get on the radio or MTV or anything. That was just never part of their DNA or their vocabulary. And here to see them, to see them do this, and they admit it, they admit to to doing this. It just it's it's sad, it's a low point uh for the band for me.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's a power ballad. It 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 sounds very generic, it sounds like it could have been done by anybody else. Um, the one thing though that it does do is that it kind of establishes Tony Martin as the heavy metal wedding singer, <laughs> in my eyes. This is where I think he definitely and he stays it well. <laughs> He sings it well, but it's like, you know, I'm going to take points away because he sings it too well. He seem he seems too comfortable with this, and I don't think that you could have gotten. I don't think you could have gotten Ian Gillen to sing this. Maybe, <laughs> but it still would have sounded kind of like a little bit creepy. Uh, I don't think Dio would have been able to 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 do it as as well, uh, in air quotes, as Tony Martin. I think that Dio would have. Had would put his own spin on it And I think it would have been a better song Even if we're talking with the same song structure and the lyrics Which of course it would have been Dio's lyrics But the only person that could do this And make it as cheesy As it was probably intended to be To hit that mark To knock it out of the park Like if somebody were to, t- to tell Tony Martin "I, I need you We need you to sing this song And make it as big rock Cheesy As you can just go for it got it thumbs up and he goes in <laughs> and he absolutely nails it and knocks it out of the park um it's so convincingly comfortable for tony martin that it does like i said takes points away from him whatever kind of like grit he he has going on towards them, you know once the savage stones start rolling along or you know the uh the epic quality that maybe he has in uh, and O'Mundi, and 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 maybe in the way that he sings the lawmaker, he almost kind of has like a Dio-esque thing going on in the lawmaker. Um, all that is diminished by the time we get to "Feels Good to Me." And you know, it's 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 the second <laughs> to the last song. So man, it's like it's this album. It's not taking this album out in a very good, very good way. Um, but yeah, it, it it's a man. It, it, it it's an insult to the Black Sabbath. It's a delight. Does that be the correct word to use? The blight <laughs> on the Black Sabbath legacy. I mean, now I can't get it out of record. my mind. I just and the only other thing that it's like, okay, so we've got this song, and and you know that's great that they admit that it was a mistake. I don't know how you, how you couldn't. I mean, you would really have to have like, you really have to be delusional to to defend this and say no, 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 no. We 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 absolutely we, we yeah we we think that was a the, the great song, a great addition to the album. That's exactly where we wanted the, the vibe to go i mean i would be like really wow <laughs> you're you're absolutely uh confused um so yeah of course i mean they're, they're you know they, they'd almost have to say that it was a mistake but um um yeah it, it's just uh the only thing when I mean, you think, well, what could make this worse? Well, let's do a video. for. Let's take the worst song on the album yeah. and make a video for the it. The most unblack
0: Sabbath song on the album. I mean, they could have gone with like Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah. even though mm-hmm. it's not my favorite song, I could picture that being a Hmm. video and working because it sort of straddles that line it's metal but it's very melodic and and everything but this is like god if you were just like flipping through mtv and this was playing you would just skip over it because you would think it was just one of these generic late 80s la sunset Um, strip bands
1: and the video is just so cringy it's it's like uh, it's hard to get through. And you and you said, you know, oh somebody could say, well, yeah, but you had like heart like a wheel or you had no stranger to love. I, I love those two songs on Seven Star. Those are highlights on that album. I mean, I, I I like Seven Star. I like it a lot. I mean, I think the songs are good. I, I'm also a Glenn Hughes fan. And and while there is kind of like this, you know, odd man out vibe to the record, I mean, I I do I I will reach for a seven star a lot more often than I will tear. Uh, and I like those. Those, My yeah. God, the, the way that Glenn Hughes delivers the lyrics in um No Stranger to Love is just like. He yeah, just, he, he sells it.
0: it. Yeah, he really sells yeah. and, and you know what? And to be fair to, to, to Tony Martin, he actually sounds really, really good on this song. It, and it makes me think, and if you've heard any of Tony Martin's solo stuff, that this is more of Tony Martin's wheelhouse than something like the Sabbath stones or when death calls or the headless cross. And to reaffirm that is sort of this confusion that it, it, it sounds like sometimes Tony Martin had trouble finding his identity in Black Sabbath, that this really, in a lot of ways, maybe it wasn't the best fit for him. He was more it for songs like these and and, I mean that's not an insult he sounds great on the song he sells this song the problem is is that it's on a Black Sabbath record if this was the lead off single off of Tony Martin's solo record I would be like wow this is like amazing singing this is real AOR and it's nothing like Black Sabbath but hey this is Tony Martin doing his own own thing and maybe this is really uh, really more and i can't can't help but think knowing having heard some of his solo material although there are some heavy moments his solo material leans way more towards an aor hard rockish uh, type of type of thing so uh you know there's that but again this goes back to all the way back to the beginning of this podcast here or we said, but the problem is, is that it says Black Sabbath on the title of the record. And yeah, we can sit back and say, yeah, if this was on a foreigner record, this would be a great song, but it's not on a foreigner record. It's on a Black Sabbath album. And, and there's a certain responsibility when, when it's on a Black Sabbath record. And I'm willing to go to certain places, hey, uh, sh- changes off of volume four okay you know they've they've been known to to do different things through time but this is this is just so slick and when they did changes I didn't get the feeling that they were trying to get a radio hit out of it that they were trying to sound like somebody else it sounded like a song that they just wanted to do and it was very different than anything they had done before this sounds like somebody in a suit and tie said guys we need a ballads are in, you know, a guy with a cigar in his mouth. His ballads are in. We need a ballad. We need a. We need a video girl on a motorcycle. It'll sell, you know. Really, yeah, like, like it's right. and that's kind of what 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 they did here, and it's it's a shame. It it doesn't work, but it's a shame because Tony Martin sounds fantastic on it, and it is. If, if it was on a four probably there's there there were thousands of bands on the sunset strip that would have killed to have a song like this on their record because it it would have worked for anybody else but with black sabbath 1990 nah it's it's a total it's a total miss it's a total low point if for me with the yeah. band
1: yeah no it, it definitely does sound like it was probably um uh, it might have been some record label uh Involvement in this, and and I think that was the case. I think that they did tell them, "Well, we need a song that's going to hit the radio. We need we need a, we need a single um based on what things are trending right now." You know, you had White Snake. Is this love? I don't know if that's the right yeah
0: sign <laughs> yeah exactly. It's like that kind so, of yeah like, I mean, vibe like- to it.
1: Yeah, that was doing well. So, I mean, somebody probably told him, hey, you know what, we're, we we need a song like that. And uh, once it's done, we're going to get we'll hook you up with. And I didn't do any research because I I just don't care. But I don't know who the director <laughs> is that did the video, but he was probably a guy that was very proficient in yeah. those kind of videos. Maybe he did some videos for Def Leppard
0: or um, Bon Jovi or, or, or yeah, whoever, because it's a total video. generic yeah. late yeah, 80s but, uh, yeah. video. But sure. now I can't get, now, now I just have this image in my head now of, ladies and gentlemen, the bride and groom will be dancing to the song <laughs> that they've selected, Feels Good to Me. And to sing it, we have from Black Sabbath, Tony Martin. And he comes oh, out yeah. in an ill-fitting tux. A tux or something. Yeah. And then he sings this for the bride and the groom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, great, the heavy, metal, okay.
1: the heavy metal wedding singer,
0: yeah, Tony. If you're the out there,
1: versatile. You know, wedding singers have to be versatile. But they, at the very end of the day, man, they got to be able to, to drive that ballad, that that dance. They got to have a lot of slow dance songs. And you know, I'm not sure that if Dio is a slow dance singer. I, I'm, I don't think Ozzy is too, unless you know he wants everybody to like be really depressed afterwards. So. <laughs> but uh, Tony Martin can can sell it, man. He gets you know. Father and daughter dance. Tony Martin coming out singing "Feels Good to Me," or maybe for the bride and groom. But yeah, wow, horrible idea, and it does really weigh the album down um, in the grand scheme of things here. So, you right. know, they, they, at least, like I say, the Headless Cross didn't have a song like this, on it, so that yeah, yeah,
0: indeed. Uh, all right, but thank goodness there's at least one more song on the record here heaven and black still slightly generic to me, but the main riff is pretty heavy in, in and in a chugging gallopy children of the grave, uh, kind of way. So this, this, and this is one where the guitar actually sounds heavy on this for me. It's really there. I don't know if they kind of sounds like maybe he overdubbed a couple guitars to kind of thicken up the sound there locked in on that, uh, main riff, the drum intro from cozy is, is cool. Uh, and uh, maybe the song's a little forgettable. It gets a little sabotaged for me by the chorus, which is a little too sing-songy for me. The same problem that I had in Jerusalem. The melody line is just too kind of bright and happy sounding for me, and it's which is bizarre because the verse you've got that big, heavy chugging riff, and then when the chorus comes around, it just kind of. Uh, it's slightly disappointing. It it lets me down a little bit, but uh, that main riff is is what I think about when I think of this this particular song.
1: Yeah, it, it's a cool song. It um it, it does uh, it it does have a callback to classic Black Sabbath and, and the riff. You know, like you said, it's it's similar to Children of the Grave. I mean, it's obviously Children of the Grave. It's the first time I think that Tony Iommi has ever really ripped himself off in this manner um but you know what at this point after feels good to me i'm i'm cool with it i thank thank (laughs) god there's something that kind of like sort of tries to to get things back on track um but as cool as that riff is it's the context and the way that the the song is built around it it takes it out of where it could be a much more effective um vibe It, it puts it into a different kind of Context and I'm not liking it that much. Like you said, it just get a little sing-songy. Um, the tempo changes towards the end. I don't like the tempo change. I, it feels completely unnecessary. It doesn't make the song better. It just makes it sound different. And it doesn't really. It, it doesn't sound like a very cohesive song. Um, it, it it sounds like like filler, and I think it is filler. Unfortunately, where it ends, the fact that it ends the album is it's is a unfortunate. Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah, uh, because I mean yeah. it,
0: even going back to this point, even if you go back to uh you go back to uh Headless Cross, Nightwing, uh uh you go back to uh born again, you know, keep it warm and uh over and over and lonely is the word. I mean, Black Sabbath were always very good about it. Did the last song on the record always felt like yeah. a deep cut, but always like really, really special. And uh, this one, like you said, I uh, Iomi copying himself in some ways, which is which is uh bizarre. But this is one of the few riffs on here that I can sort of connect back to an earlier era of Black Sabbath, maybe this in the verse riff in Anno Monday, uh, but. Yeah, it's it's a disappointment. I don't like the the song title either, Heaven and Black. That's just so like uh so generic uh yeah. sounding. And and I guess originally uh I read that it was supposed to be called Into the Black. They should have called it that, but for whatever reason they they went with Heaven and Black. And it's just it's just boring, you know, the lyrics, yeah. there's just nothing to the lyrics here to get me excited about the lyrics and so, yeah, kind of a unfortunate way to better than feels good to me, uh, ending the album on feels good to me. But it's still just being that Black Sabbath, they always had really cool album closers. And this up to this point, this is probably what's what's the last song on Heart of Heart of What's the last song on Seven Star? Uh, uh, in Memory. Uh, in memory right even that has a cool vibe to it this is probably the most yes, disappointing sabbath see. album closer to this point
1: yeah no I yeah i agree it, it definitely it, it it sputters out um and, and i mean I, I guess you could say release I, I i think that the album is i mean i know you're kind of conflicted with a few songs in in the beginning but i i, I think that it is pretty it's pretty top loaded front-loaded um where you you know the best songs of the album are like the first four and then after that it just kind of like winds down you know I, I i think that if you're at least for me i i'm i'm pretty well when, when i get to uh odin's court or what what's the first instrumental not odin's court that's the actual uh, uh the battle of tears when i get when i get to that point i'm ready to like okay move on to something else because i know that there really isn't much after uh, the sabbath stones that that's really gonna like uh satisfy uh, what i want to hear um i've already heard the best of what this album has to offer up to this point climaxes the sabbath stones after that it's ah eh. put it away move on to something else so.
0: all right well i guess we've uh said our piece on the tier album uh it's an album Mixed feelings, I guess at at best, uh, to to describe this this record. Uh, for everybody out there, we'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on tier. I know uh, we have a Facebook page. If you look up into the void, of Black Sabbath podcast, you can go over on Facebook. And uh, I know Darren not that long ago started a tier topic, and a lot of people were jumping in. And like I said in the intro to this, there's almost like a cult following around headless cross and tear there's even i've even heard like some of the 90s era power metal bands like this is like a big influence on them when their bands were first starting and stuff like that so there is this album does have its fan base there are people that that do really like this record so uh, let us know come on over to facebook let us know if you like this record if you don't like this what you like about it what you don't like about it what you think about our thoughts on this. Uh, got any final parting thoughts here for, for tier?
1: I'm, I'm just going to follow up with your, with your comment about Facebook. Um, you know, initially when, when we put the post up, it's the word coming soon tier. And it, it it was split. There were some people that there were some people that were as enthusiastic about this album as there were people that were just not into it at all. And it was interesting. And I knew that this was going to be, Probably one of the more difficult, because I, I I know that you and I are pretty much, I, I, I think you're, I might be more, and I'm not really fond of the album, but I, I think I'm more fond of the album than you are. And I knew this was going to be a difficult one for us to tackle, um, but we did get through it, uh, being as honest as we can and, and trying to be as diplomatic about it. Could have been a lot harsher and in fact in in, in a, an alternate universe i i think we actually were at one point um <laughs> maybe with one of our discussions and in in the multiverse um but <laughs> and, and here we are and and this is what we this is what we did um but i i really would like to for the songs that we or at least that i said that that i, I can't imagine why anybody would like it i'd love to hear an argument for why it's good like please try to change my mind about feels good to me i'm not being i'm not trying to be uh whatever i'm not, I'm not trying to be sarcastic or anything but yeah I, i'd love to hear um an argument for uh, some of the songs um support the the north Norse mythology theme um I, I'd love to hear that. I mean, I, I always like to hear another perspective on things. I love to I love to talk about and John does too. We we both we love to talk about Black Sabbath. It's the whole reason we do this. Um, and I like to read people's opinions on Black Sabbath. It's uh it's always interesting to get uh different perspectives on things. And sometimes you know it it gets me to thinking, and I might even give it another shot with a different mindset. So uh, yeah, check us out on social media on uh, Facebook.
0: And uh, if you would like to hear Darren and I discussing other Black Sabbath topics and Black Sabbath related topics, you can go over to my YouTube channel called Layer of the Alchemist, uh, where we do a thing every now and then called Sabbath Sunday. Uh, We tackle various uh, topics that uh, lists and things like that, ranking things and uh, just general discussions. And uh, we're going to be putting this video up. I'm going to be splitting this into two parts on two separate Sundays. So... If you if you made it this far into the podcast and you already heard it and you want to go back and listen to it again and you can see the reactions on our faces as we're talking about some of these things, you can head on over to uh, to Lair of The Alchemist. And I also do cover a bunch of other topics, metal and rock related topics on there that uh, people might enjoy. And uh, we appreciate everybody's support here. It really does mean a lot to us, the comments, the listens, uh, the views and everything. Means the world to us, and if you would like to support the podcast even more, uh, you can go to co-vkofi dot slash into the void a Black Sabbath podcast, and you can make a donation in any amount you would like. Any uh, anything uh, that you give us is very much appreciated to help us with some of the costs that we incur with the podcast. I will link that in the description. Down below, Uh and we'd like to thank everybody again for listening. Uh, I'm not sure what's on the plate next. I think it's no more tears. I think
1: Ozzy. I, I, I think it is no more tears. Yeah, and un, un, uh unless we wanted, there, there was actually uh, somebody requested uh just say Ozzy the EP. I, I don't know that. I don't know that we could do that, but we maybe we we will. We uh, could wrap it into I think no
0: more tears.
1: No More Tears, I think, is the next one. Maybe we'll have a mention of uh, Just Say Ozzy, the Just Say Ozzy EP on that. Anyway.
0: All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll see everybody there at the next podcast. And uh, remember that you can only trust yourself, the 19 Black Sabbath studio albums, and Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast.